First Timothy chapter six. First Timothy chapter six. Twenty-first week in the book of First Timothy. We're going to be in verses three through ten. As you turn there, uh, let me pray for us as we get ready to study God's word. Lord God, we ask for help this morning to see your word as truth. God, that your Holy Spirit would change our desires, challenge our hearts to make us more like you. Help us to see Christ. Help us to find him better. Name we pray. Amen. First Timothy chapter six, verse three through ten. The holy inspired word of God says this: If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. That's in the Bible. <laughs> I love that. Paul pulls no punches. <laughs> he understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils, it is through the craving that some it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And everyone in here went, oh no, it's that verse. <laughs> we are here. Paul, continuing to instruct his young protege, the pastor in Ephesus, uh, has already tackled many difficult issues. Uh, the roles of men and women in the church, uh, the uh, discussion over false doctrine. Uh, he tackled uh, slavery last week. Uh, he has not shied away from the difficult um, realities that Paul has found or that Timothy has found himself in his new pastorate in Ephesus. He has made sure to instruct him on all of these difficult things and to be very clear about these things so that Timothy can regurgitate this to his church. He is close to wrapping up his letter to Timothy. Uh, we are not close to wrapping up our series on 1 Timothy, <laughs> if you got excited. Um, but in his closing remarks, he's once again going to turn his attention to false doctrines. Paul has spent a tremendous amount of time on this subject because it is ravaging the church. The church that is new, 
uh, the church that there are no seminars to go to on how to do church. Uh, thank God. Um, those have not done us a lot of good, I don't think. Um, but there are no seminars on that. There are no systematic theology books written. Uh, there's none of that written necessarily for uh, Paul and to teach Timothy, just go read this book or go listen to this guy and you'll understand how to do everything. Instead, he has had to instruct him carefully because in this church itself, there are already false doctrines being taught among the people. And he's had strong words to say about that so far in Timothy. And now he has returned with another list of strong words. When you call people who teach false doctrine, that they are puffed up with conceit and understand nothing, they are unhealthy, they crave controversy, they create quarrels and envy and dissension and slander and evil suspicions and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of truth. Paul is being very clear about how he feels about those who are teaching false doctrine. And he reminds Timothy that if anyone does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus and the apostles, then he is teaching false stuff. So, so here's healthy doctrine. Are you ready? Anytime you, you wonder about a theological point, you say, what did Jesus say about that? And what Jesus says wins. Are we there? If the, whatever the Bible says wins. Now, we're not talking about all those issues that we've already talked about many times before. There are lots of things that the Bible is silent about that for whatever reason the church has decided to make truth out of and preach it as truth. And I would just tell you we must be careful there because the Bible didn't clearly teach that. And if the Bible doesn't clearly teach it, I'm not exactly sure how we can clearly teach that because it's not coming from the Bible. But with regards to healthy doctrine for Timothy to teach, Paul tells Timothy, if Jesus said it, you say it. And if we tell you that Jesus said it, then repeat what we said that Jesus said because we were with Jesus when he said it. <laughs> Everything else is wrong. We could use that again in the church today, couldn't we? Yeah. Two amens, two yes. <laughs> Paul is making sure Timothy understands that false doctrine causes problems. It does not lead to godliness. Healthy doctrine leads to godliness, meaning... If what you're believing is right, then it will be demonstrated in your life. That's new for the church. Shouldn't be new. It's very old. Unfortunately for Timothy, there are already people teaching stuff that does not stir up godliness. It does not stir up holiness, but it does stir up all kinds of other things. Grew up in a Baptist church, you should say amen there. Because we have taught many things from a pulpit that is not the truth according to the scripture. And what has resulted from that has been dissension and slander. Can you believe that in the church? If you're not shaking your head, then you did not grow up in any of the churches I've served on staff at. So, those kinds of unhealthy teaching always cause problems. 
What Paul is reminding Timothy to teach is what Jesus said and what the apostles said. And what we are pastors today should be reminded of, that we are not teaching something new. We should be teaching something very old. Because that is truth. And sound doctrine leads for believers. Sound doctrine preached to believers leads to godliness. For, for us as believers who, who have the Holy Spirit in us, when someone preaches biblical truth to us, the Holy Spirit does this. Do you hear what he's saying? That is truth. Not because Jason is really smart. I am not. I said that before anyone said amen. <laughs> but Jason is right because he is preaching healthy doctrine from the scriptures. So the Holy Spirit says, what you just heard is right, and let me apply it to your life. And believers who are occupied by the Holy Spirit of God are not perfect. They fail, but they hear that. They feel that. There is conviction and challenge coming from the Holy Spirit that says, I'm not doing that. I'm not living that way. I desire to live that way. I see where I'm failing in that. I'm not going to live this way so God will love me. I'm going to live this way. I'm going to move to what he's saying because God does love me. And I want to follow that and I want to pursue that. That is healthy teaching. Amen. Healthy teaching for believers leads to godliness. We have spent a lot of time on this. I won't spend much more time on that. Every year at the beginning of the year, we rehash that as a church. Why we preach the Bible the way that we do. But it's to keep us from walking into false doctrine. In verses 4 through 5... Paul wants to paint a very clear picture to Timothy of what actually motivates false teachers. Their ultimate motivation is some kind of earthly material gain. Does that sound familiar? False teachers and false teachers have at their core the desire for financial and physical here and now gain. It is not at its core have a desire to bring godliness or to bring glory to God. It at its core does not have a desire for holiness. It does not have a desire to teach people how to live a life worthy of the gospel. And it is not because that teaching does not emphasize that God is the greatest pleasure you could ever have on this earth and no joy that any material thing can provide you can exceed the joy of what Jesus gives. That is not what they're teaching. They want to be godly in what they say and they want to have religious experiences but they want to do so in order to get more stuff. Here and now, not later. Now listen, the promises of following Christ does bring great reward. I have no interest in following a God who says I get nothing. That almost kind of sounds anti-Christian, doesn't it? Except Jesus said it all the time. Follow me and you will have. The problem is what he was saying we would have mostly are things that we have in the next life. Although, 
Today, you have peace here. You have the strength to overcome sin here. You have the ability to have a strong marriage now. There are things that we get, but the majority of things that we get by following Christ are after we breathe our last here. False doctrine is always man-centered. It's always man-centered. Not God-centered. It makes much of us instead of making much of God. Now, y'all know me, and I'm, when it comes to this kind of stuff, I have a tendency to go on um, rabbit trails. And that's going to happen today, so I hope you had a big breakfast. <laughs> Several years ago, when my wife and I were looking for a church to attend, when I was in between churches, we pondered upon or found ourselves in a fairly large church in East Texas. Yeah, I said East Texas. Makes it a little bit bigger. Because they're going to start trying to figure out where I was at. Uh, don't go there. <laughs> the sermon series that at this church was about the book of Esther. I preached about this when we preached the book of Esther. And we were there on the last day summarizing the book of Esther. Where God in his providence and sovereignty uses Esther to rescue his people. And here was the summary by the pastor. The book of Esther is about how to win friends and influence people. And I wanted to stand up. My wife grabbed me because she knew what was going to happen. I was already getting angry. I wanted to say, that's Dale Carnegie. You stole his line and his book. That is not the point of Esther. That many of the people in the church said amen. Do you know why? Because we as human beings like things to be man-centered. We do. It works on humans. Because fundamentally at our fallen nature is a deep desire for everything to be about us. So naturally, in your own sinful nature, you desire more things now more material stuff. And who wants to die early? Right? So of course we want to live a long time. So the health and wealth gospel works so well because it grabs at the core of your fallen nature, which as believers, listen to me, is still very strong in your life. And so when you hear someone preach something that makes you the center of the story, you're like, well, that's good. I like that. Because deep down inside of our fallen nature as believers, we still crave stuff and attention. And we want things to be about us. That's why we struggle to stay in churches. Thank you, Wayne. <laughs> Am I right? We go to churches, we don't like the music they do, we don't like that, we don't, we, we move. Finally have so many churches, really, ultimately. Hey, and I'm there, I've done the same thing. Because we really want church to be about meeting my need. We want things to be about us. We definitely want more money. And who doesn't want to be healthy? Every school reunion, if you ever attend, Mainly men, probably. When we meet another man that we haven't seen since high school, we say, so what are you doing nowadays? Let me translate what you're asking. 
How much money are you making? <laughs> you say, well, I'm a doctor. They go, oh. If you say, you know, you're an audiologist, you're like, oh. <laughs> we, we all have this idea. We want to say certain things and, and cause people to what? Be impressed with us. It's why we post so much. And it's why we check back to see how many likes we have. Right? Because at our core, we want people to pay attention to us. We want to know how much other people make compared to how much money we make. It's why we look at Facebook and we compare our lives with everybody else's lives on there. And how many times have you been around someone else or seen someone else driving a car or living in a certain house and you get back in the car with your spouse and you say, how can they afford that? And if that's your wife, that is code for what happened to you, honey? <laughs> what it means. Listen, folks, almost everybody in here, I don't care your spiritual level. Almost everyone in here, there are some exceptions to the rule. Rich Mullins would have been one of those who cared about things. But by and large, we all want more. We do. We want more. None of us will ever turn down a raise. When was the last time that your boss offered you a raise and you said, listen, I was learning about Moses in the focus class and he ignored the treasures of Egypt because he loved Jesus better. And so I'm going to turn that raise down because that would stir up in me a desire for things on earth and that wouldn't be godly. Anybody ever done that? <laughs> no. We all want more. And we all want things that help us achieve a certain status. We just do. And so this kind of false teaching, just as it did in Ephesus, and it does today, wreaks havoc. Most recently I saw on Facebook that there's a new church coming to Longview. Because we need more churches. <laughs> and the entire announcement was this. It was serious. Was the pastor talking on a Facebook Live? People say you should talk about other churches. I'm going to talk about other churches if they're preaching a false doctrine. His entire premise was come to this church and find out how God wants to make you wealthy. You should walk in that. We are children of the King. We should be healed. I mean, he just goes through this whole thing. And there are people like, 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 like. I was looking to see if it was any of y'all. <laughs> but it wasn't, thankfully. But it works. This works. Because we want, it, we want things to be about us, do we not? God knows that apart from a deep desire to live a life of holiness, our desire will always default to self. Almost every argument you've ever had with your spouse is because... You wanted something. And if you're a man, you were right. I mean, wrong. It's true. We all want something. And we didn't get our way to reign. We said, why can't I have more money? Why can't I have more stuff? I mean, if I had more stuff, I would do godly things with it. James seems to disagree with us. James chapter 4, he says this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you is it not this that your passions are at war within you you desire and do not have so you murder you covet and you cannot obtain so you fight and you quarrel you do not have because you do not ask 
You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people. Do you hear that? You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's in the Bible. Put that on your sign for your next series. Learn how to be an enemy of God. Sermon series. That's what the Bible says. But in verse 6, Paul begins to say, what is healthy doctrine? What is good teaching? And what the results of healthy good teaching is? And he says that true godliness that yields contentment is great gain. It is great gain. Contentment. A word that for me, this is transparency time, is a foreign concept for me. My closest friends know that my greatest struggle is not lust. It's not pride. I hope not. They would tell me. <laughs> I have good friends. It's contentment. It's the ability to be joyful in my current circumstances, not hoping that something changes that will make me happier. That's me. So this sermon stinks because I had to write it. Now I've got to preach it. How does true godliness bring a state of satisfaction in our current circumstances? How does... How does good doctrine, how does the word, how does knowing the word bring godliness that brings contentment? And here's how. Good teaching of the word helps us find contentment because it reminds us of the proper place to put material wealth. Let me go ahead and help you out real quick. Everybody in this room is wealthy. You may be broke. But if you're broke, according to American standards, it's probably because you got yourself there. Can we? Amen? Yeah. Amen? <laughs> but, but you're broke. Most people who are floating on rafts to come to this country would take your brokenness any day of the week. Because you're probably going home to a home, a place to live. So, so we're all rich. So how do we put that stuff in the proper, proper perspective? Verses 7 through 8 says this. And here's how. You need to understand, Jason Williams needs to understand what I already know, and already knowing it and understanding it are two different things. Already knowing it and living it out are two different things, and that is probably true for you, too. Nothing is going to be said new here today. Like, does anyone not know that you cannot take the stuff you got with you when you die? Like, does anyone, does that surprise anybody? Is anybody going, what?! You mean when I die, I can't take all that stuff with me? Like, you already know that. But look at the energy we spend to get it. Look at the energy and time and stress that we place upon ourselves to get that stuff, knowing that it's going to go away. So proper teaching of the word 
helps us find contentment by putting material stuff in its right place, and it helps eliminate disappointment in material things because you cannot take it with you. And listen, if all you live for is material stuff, and then you get to your deathbed knowing that everything you live for is going to be taken away, you will be disappointed. and You will have wasted your life. So Paul tells Timothy, don't teach that. Teach the truth. Because everybody else is teaching stuff to get things. Don't do that. Everything that we have gets old and worn out. We're cleaning out our garage. We had our garage sale to earn money for the missions. And uh, I have lots of CDs. Um, You remember when CDs were like 15 bucks a pop? I had... Uh, about 500 leftover that I had not gotten rid of. We tried to sell them at the garage sale. Good luck. <laughs> so I took them to a local shop and tried to get them to buy them. And they looked through them and they uh, got rid of all the Christian ones. They said, we don't want those. <laughs> that might be how our music works. But anyway, <laughs> they offered to buy the remaining ones. Bar. I spent about, I figured it out, I told the kids, I spent about $5,000 in my lifetime on those 500 and so CDs. I got 40 bucks. <laughs> 40 bucks. And they felt like they were robbed giving me the 40 bucks. That's stuff, folks. That's stuff. You ever cleaned out someone's house who has died? I did that with my grandfather. Passed away. It was my family's responsibility to clean that house out. It's just stuff that they value that we were trying to decide. Do we keep it or do we chunk it? That's what's going to happen to your stuff. Ever sit behind a clunker of a vehicle that you're like, I can't believe that thing got inspected and is on the road. You ever seen that? At one point, that was somebody's brand new pride and joy. But stuff just wears out. It goes away. And yet we pursue it so much. And yet we claim to be healthy believers. And yet the scripture tells us it's all going to go away. You can't take it with you. And yet we pursue it anyway. I love Proverbs 23, 4-5. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. If there's anything that the Bible teaches about riches, is they are very uncertain. And in the blink of an eye, it can all be gone. And godliness, true godliness, true teaching that we should be preaching in our churches is that we should be content with food and clothing. That's challenging. Because we are not content people. And yet we claim to a lost world that we have the secret to joy and peace. And then we run the same race that everybody else does. And you wonder why they're not buying it? Verse 9 gives us more warning. The temptation awaits those who desire to be rich. And the word desires means to purpose oneself, to be driven to, to have affections for. 
So if your desire is to get rich, if your desire is to find a way to make a lot more money, the Bible warns you that you're in danger. Our elder reading reminds us, do not store up treasure here because it's going to rot away. It's going to rot away. And then in what is really strong, anti-American trained language, Jesus, God with flesh on, says, listen, you can't serve money and me. That's in the Bible. And yet if you turn on the television and listen to most popular preachers or just drive through cities and look at the signs on the church of what the series is. I saw one recently that said, winning at life. Yeah. We want it, don't we? That the Bible is going completely in an opposite direction than what we really desire to do. In verse 10 we find that this love of money, not money, one of the most misquoted verses out there, it's not money is the root of all evil, it's love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's a better translation, it's not the only root of evil, a better translation is the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Clearly, it's not the root of lust, per se. So we know that the love of money is not, is not the central thing that leads to all other sins. But the love of money and the pursuit of money and the greed of money does lead to all kinds of evil. Would you agree? Amen. We would. The love, the passion, desire for, the constant pursuing of money, that is what Paul is speaking to here. And you can be poor and have the love of money. Because if you're, if you're poor in American standards, here's what you're thinking. If I could just have more this, I would be happy. And, and so you pattern your life to go get that, thinking that will bring you more joy. That's love of money. We always think that the love of money has to do with rich people. But if you're willing to compromise biblical standards to go get it, then you have the love of money. And if you're wealthy here today and you are willing to compromise biblical standards to keep it or to get more, you have a love of money. Now this is difficult to teach because I feel the pressure to make more. Do you feel that pressure? I got four things in my house called kids. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but they cost money. They expect to eat. I didn't promise to feed you. (laughs) So I feel that pressure. And and I want them to have things, and I want them to experience things. I mean, do you have the same thing? I I have the same ideas of of hoping to retire one day if God allows me to live that long and and to to have a little bit of money so I could pay the bill. And, And I don't know about you, but calling Swepco when your power is about to get turned off and letting them know that you're a believer and that you love Jesus will not keep them from turning your power off. I mean, we, we need this stuff. We, I get it. And there's this pressure upon us to make more. And that in of itself is not bad if, if we're trying to use it to pay bills, take care of our family, 
to make ourselves not dependent upon others financially or make yourselves not dependent upon the church. Paul will address people in the scriptures. If you don't work, you don't eat. You know why that works? Because when you get hungry, you tend to go figure out a way to make some money to eat. And even later on in chapter 6, he's going to address the wealthy Christians in Ephesus and he does not tell them to get rid of all their money. He doesn't. But he does tell them how to handle their wealth properly. And so having money or having some desire for money in of itself is not necessarily sinful. It's a noble cause to want to make sure that you don't have to borrow money from your parents every week. I know my parents were thrilled when I was about 38 when I figured that out. Some of y'all didn't catch the age. (laughs) I've been in ministry most of my life, Dad. But when it comes to you thinking that you getting more will bring you joy or bring you more peace, then you are setting yourself up for sin. Because if you think something will bring you joy, bring you peace, you'll fight for it. And if you think that's what money will do for you, you are setting yourself for danger. And so the scriptures give us one final warning warning regarding the pursuit of money as a means of being content. And it says this, that through this craving, some have wandered away from faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This craving for money, this craving for material gain now is a false doctrine to listen to. It's a false doctrine to teach. But more importantly, if you live that, if you try to pursue that, it will bring all kinds of pain, physical and emotional pain. Have you not seen enough news stories of people pursuing wealth? I mean, are we, do we really think that all the wealthy people in this country are joyful people? I mean, really? Really? We know better. I love the way the writer of Hebrews says this. Hebrews chapter 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, how many of y'all would like to know who those witnesses are? You should come to the focus class. <laughs> Shameless plug, because that's what we're covering. But since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, those are faithful believers in the past, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. The desire for wealth and money, sin, it clings so closely. It's there all the time. Do you say, well, what's the secret then, Jason, to being content? How do I know if I have the love of money? How do I know if I'm pursuing that as my, my hope for joy and peace? Well, one, if you're asking yourself those questions, then you're in a really good spot to begin with. If you're saying, hey, is my desire today at work, is my desire to get a job that, that pays me more money, is my desire for a promotion so that I can find contentment? If it is, you should turn down the race because it'll be empty. So if you're asking those kind of questions, that's a great place to be. But what's the secret of gaining this contentment? 
If the health and wealth preachers and the doctrine is wrong, and the Bible clearly says it is, and how do I get contentment? How do I find contentment? What is the framework for contentment as a believer? When this world grabs for my affections, when sin, as Hebrews 12 says, can so easily entangle me, then how do I handle this pressure that I feel as an American in an affluent country where everything is geared about getting more stuff? How do I, how do I handle that pressure? That seems to always be upon me. Well, the Apostle Paul had an answer for that. Given to him by the Holy Spirit of God. And it comes from one of the most misquoted verses. A verse quoted out of context so often it's pitiful. And probably all of the Bible. Philippians chapter 4, 10 through 13 says this. When Paul is speaking to the fact that Christians had come to his aid and helped him financially to continue ministry. And that is not help him buy another jet, by the way. It's not help him have a second home. He says this, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. Listen. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And it is in that context that verse 13 happens. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's the secret. The secret is, how do I handle this pressure? Filter it through Christ. Lord, I don't know if I'm doing this right. I don't know if I'm pursuing the wrong things, but I come to you. You're my strength. You're my hope. You're my joy. You're my peace. And I don't know how to handle this everything, but I know this. That if, I, if I come to you, if I pursue everything through you, that I can do anything. I can handle wealth. If you give me wealth, I can handle it if I come through you. And if you take everything away, I can handle it as long as I do it through you. It is in that context, the context of material needs that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is said. It is not in winning football games. It's here. In this situation. You say, well, how do I do that through him? I don't understand what you're talking about. How can Jesus be that much better? I don't even understand that. How do I even get Jesus? Glad you asked. Now you know we're closing. <laughs> Here's the gospel. The gospel is that you were born with a fallen nature, and that fallen nature desires for more, 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 more now. You want everything to be about yourself. No one has to teach you how to sin. You sin really well all by yourself. You were an enemy with God. And if you're here today and you're not a believer, you need to understand you are an enemy of God. And yet even in your sin, God loves you so much that he sent Christ to take your place on the cross. That if you would repent and believe, he would take your sin and you would get his righteousness. And your life would be changed forever. Not perfect. 
that you, though you have this fallen nature still that sits over here telling you to get more, get more, get more, there's another part of you now called the Holy Spirit that says getting more will not bring you joy, my child. Getting more stuff will not make you content. Because I am better than everything else you get. That's the gospel. You say, why are you spending more time than usual? You preached a longer sermon. Maybe not, not that late. If we claim to know the secret, if we claim that we know the path to joy and peace and contentment, if we claim that we and we alone in Christ have good news, then we should be living differently than everyone else around us. The race they're running is not the race we are called to run. It's not. We're called to be different. And many of you are piercing yourselves, me included, with stress and pressure that the Lord never intended for us to have because we're trying to pursue a certain kind of financial status or a certain amount of wealth that God may never let you have. Because He is enough. And if we can live like that, if we can live that way, where everyone says, how can you be so joyful when you don't have this? How can you be so joyful when all that goes away? That's our gospel moment. That's what we get to say. Let me tell you how to do that. Because Jesus is better. And people are like, well, What? But don't you need that? I don't need anything, I need Jesus. Yeah. How are you going to make it through? I'm going to do it through Jesus. Well, don't you want? I want Jesus. That will change a city. Yes. Not a music program. Not, not the perfect youth ministry. Not the perfect building where we don't have to set up chairs anymore. It'll be when people live as though they really have found good news and joy. That'll change the world. And that's what Paul is making sure Timothy knows. That the love of money is not a route to godliness. The love of money is not a route to pleasure and joy evermore. For the believer, it's a path to pain. Because Jesus is better He's going to come and sing a song, and I'll come back with a benediction. As always, I would tell you, if you ever want to talk about the gospel or what it means for you, how to come to know Christ, if you're struggling in this arena when it comes to money and wealth and how to handle that, uh, please come talk to me. We can swap stories. I'm, I'm there with you. I'm, I'm not above you. I hadn't figured it out. I feel the same pressure. But let's talk about that together. I'll meet you anywhere. Uh, we can chat. And we'll hold each other accountable. Our other elders are available for that as well. I know Matei, uh, handling our men's ministry, he is always available to other men who want to talk about those kind of things. I know Ben, who's out today, Ben is available. He's one of our, our small group coordinators. He'd love to sit down with other men to talk about how we face this kind of pressure. Keith, Matt, there are people here who will help us walk through that. Don't struggle alone. 
find some help in understanding how we walk out this life. Let me pray for us. God, you're good. Help us, help us, help us, Lord. To know that you are better. We find ourselves pursuing so many things, God. Yet they disappoint us every time. And yet we still pursue them, Lord. We are weak, weak creatures. God, we ask for strength. We ask for help. Grow us. Help us to find peace and joy in you and you alone, Lord. Thank you for your promise of steadfast love. That even when we fail, even when we pursue the wrong things, God, you draw us back. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that resides in us to guide us into all truth. Help us to listen to him. In your name we pray.